Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, joined again by our good buddy Prez. If you haven't checked it out already, check out yesterday's episode where we talked about R.J. Barrett's skills that he should look to develop. But today we're talking about other skills the guys on the Knicks should be looking to develop. And on today's show, we're talking Jalen Brunson's three-point volume, Deuce McBride's three-point percentage, and Julius Randle's defensive acumen. All coming up right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks. Your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts without a five. Willis for the win. Yes. Up and tuck left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. We want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you making us a part of your daily routine. Make sure you hit that notification bell or the auto download function so you can be in every day or never miss an episode. And if seeing us every day isn't enough, you can check us out on Subtext as well, which is a platform where you can write from your phone, talk with Gavin and I. Uh, check that out. Link is in the description, either on your favorite podcast platform or on YouTube. Uh, I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. And he's Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And as we said, we're joined by our buddy Prez again. If you didn't check out yesterday's episode, uh, maybe go back, check that out, and come back here. Or listen to this one. You know, they're not like sequential so whatever you know listen to whichever one you want but we did do an episode yesterday we have another one coming tomorrow where we're continuing to talk about skills but prez is super great for this he's the co-host of the pod strickland podcast on fridays and he also is just very skill obsessed uh so he's, he's sort of the perfect guy to do this pod with so uh we'll get right into it now talking jalen brunson deuce mcbride and julius randall today uh to start the second part or the you know the the spiritual second part of this episode gavin uh i think i think your jalen brunson thing here is a, is a good point to jump off on after after rj someone who's been uh a little a little underwhelming to this point in rj jumping right to the person who was obviously overwhelmingly awesome last year and and hopefully just has room to continue going up in jalen brunson yeah, so I'm gonna I'll, I'll talk quickly and then almost immediately throw this to Prez because I Prez, I don't know if you remember, but you tweeted about this like a month ago, and that's when I remember for a different episode, like first, like really looked into the numbers on it and was like, oh yeah, that that's like it, it's just crazy how much meat there is on on the bone for a guy who like you look at his his impact stats and in, in the playoffs he played like a top five player in the regular season he played like a top twenty five to thirty player in the NBA and he did it all with like arguably the most valuable modern commodity for a guard, like self-created three-point shooting, like wasn't really a huge part of his game. He took just 4.7 threes per game while shooting just under 42%. So so just a quarter of his shot diet was from three for a point guard that was only 17th percentile in the NBA. He did up at 6% in the playoffs. And of course, the percentage is tanked in the playoffs. He shot 9% worse in the playoffs. But I, I just want to look at the, the shot total, just five threes per game. Luka took eight last year. Dame took 11. Tatum took nine. Mitchell took nine. Kyrie took nine. Jalen Brown took seven. Larry Markkinen took eight. Julius Randle. Julius Randle took eight 
last year. Um, he is an exceptionally good shooter. It was kind of the first time in his career who's forced to lean into like self-created pull-up shooting on any kind of volume. He's playing off of Luca. He got like a heavy diet of catch and shoot threes, which he was always excellent on. In Dallas, he was low volume, low efficiency um, on pull-ups. And now he was still pretty low volume, but he was super high efficiency. And I think just tinkering with that a little bit, like maybe not even doubling it, but getting up to eight threes per game. Like there's a world where he's a pretty efficient 28 point scorer this year. And of course you don't want to take away from his mid range volume because he's as good there as anywhere else on the floor, but he's just so good from three. Like it doesn't matter how good he is from mid range. Those are never going to be equally good shots. Um, but Prez, uh, I'm curious your take on all that. Yeah. I mean, I, he took a lot more pull up threes in particular in the playoffs. Um, and if he starts doing that, we know he can shoot. So, uh, that's that's how like if he starts taking a bunch of pull up threes, that's when you start talking about like can this guy average like thirty points a game, right? Like can he start getting close to that? He probably won't average thirty a game, but like after January, he averaged twenty eight points a game, and he can still take a little bit more pull up threes. And he's just such a ridiculously good mid range scorer that like normal math kind of goes out the window for for him, but. Yeah, like, he has another gear to reach there. And then he also has another gear to reach to what I was talking about earlier in the R.J. Barrett portion of the show is if we get him some damn spot-up attempts, he takes I, – I I never really looked at the numbers until last week, but he takes – he gets about one spot-up three per game. Donovan Mitchell gets three. Like, it, <laughs> and obviously it's a little different because Donovan Mitchell is not the point guard on his team even though he's the main scorer, um, he has Darius Garland there. And so if he takes a little bit pull, more pull-up threes and the Knicks can get him some easy spot-up threes, then I don't know, man. He can score quite a lot of points. <laughs> Do, would, would, would you lean into more lineups with him and IQ on the floor together? Or is that more, which is something I'm going to touch on later, like counting on Grimes or RJ to get him more of those shots? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a reason... Tivs, stubborn as he can be, you know, for people have kind of forgot because of just how the playoffs ended. But like for the entire second half of the season, Tibbs was closing closing games with IQ and Brunson, which is as it should be, like until Grimes makes another leap and makes that decision a lot harder for Tibbs. Like you can I mean you can obviously play Grimes with you could play Grimes at the three, so it's not like you can't play Grimes. That would just mean you're not playing RJ or Hart, presumably. But like IQ is the third best player or fourth, depending on how you rank Mitchell Robinson on the team. And he's also happy to pass, like you're alluding to. So, like, the more we can get Brunson on the floor with guys willing to pass, whether like we know Randall will pass to him, um, but if we can get just guys willing to pass to him, whether that's Quentin Grimes doesn't really get a chance to pass to him because that he just doesn't get the ball anywhere other than the short highway from the corner to the rim that he goes a hundred miles an hour on, like it's the Autobahn. But <laughs> um, if Quentin Grimes starts getting more usage elsewhere, then Grimes is a pretty good passer too. Right. So like, there's lots of ways to do it, but um, definitely playing with quickly is one of them. Yeah, I love the idea of having the ball in quickly hands more and getting it to Brunson for those spot up attempts. Like, and I think that's the the easiest low hanging fruit way to get 
Brunson his, you know, to get his three point attempts up. And why would you not want to? Like the guy shoots 40% from three. Like you want to get the ball in his hands as many times as possible for those. And like that's like, I don't, I feel like I've brought this up eight million times, but this is like the joy of having two guys in Brunson and quickly that came up in similar development environments as far as what their role was. Uh, Brunson, because of playing off Luca for the first four years of his career, really knows how to like work off the ball and find his spots that way. Like he's not like Russell Westbrook or something where like he's this dominant point guard that, but like the second you take the ball out of his hands, he's like, whoop. I guess I'll just go over here and stand and do nothing and have no utility and like don't bother guarding me because I can't do anything and I don't know what to do if, in like a spot up attempt or whatever. Uh, he's he like is very very good at that and that would be such a great way to to not only get guys like quickly or Grimes or I mean he, this even falls into RJ too and this would be an easy way to say to RJ like hey this is a great way for you to keep your head up like. Here's the very easy to understand numbers on why Jalen Brunson should be taking more three pointers. Like, you're really good at getting inside. Like, get your assists up, bro. Like, shoot a pass out his way. Like, he's he's a good three point shooter, and you can use that gravity that you create to kick out to him, which will then eventually get you more room to finish inside. Um, you know, I think all these guys, you know, you could make the case of like, hey, get get Brunson involved that way, and that saves Brunson the effort of having to come down there. And like every time he wants a three, make it fully self-created, which it felt like, especially during the playoffs, that was the case. And I mean, it, you kind of had to at a certain point. He was like the only guy on the team that could consistently create offense and consistently make shots for most of the playoffs, especially in that Heat series when he was like the only one that could really get what he wanted. But I, I think that that's just such a an important thing for him is to to – and it's not even for him necessarily. It's more on the team, but like finding ways to use him off ball a little more to take a little bit of that onus off. So that then when you reach the, the late stages of the game, he's at his best self because that's what you obviously want when you have your, your primary one, a scorer out there is that he's going to be in the, the best position possible at the end of the game to have as much juice left as possible to go out there and like get you the bucket that you really need to win the game in the end. Um, so yeah, I think I'm, I'm with you guys. I think that increasing the volume and, and most likely through spot up attempts would be really, really valuable for him. All right. We'll be right back in with Prez continuing to talk about skills to develop for Knicks players. I bring up Deuce McBride's three point shooting and why I could make him an NBA rotation player. And then we talk about one of Prez's uh, big things, which is Julius Randle's defense and uh, kind of always a big thing for the Knicks. But, you know, it's it's a lot to talk about. But first, I got to remind you all today's show is brought to you by Ibotta and it's officially summer. And that means new clothes. If you haven't gotten shorts already, I don't know what's wrong with you, dude. Like, get some shorts. It's uh pretty hot outside but your closet shouldn't be the only thing growing when you make those purchases now you can also watch your cash back grow with each purchase with ibotta ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods so you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and you can get your cash back it really is that easy the average ibotta user earns 120 dollars per year 
that could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. Or you could use your cash back to buy that flight you've been eyeing, that game you've been dying to go to, or the fancy dinner you've been craving. Other apps give you points that don't amount to much, but with iBody, you get real cash back that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. You can earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers, too, when you start with Ibotta, including Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. So right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code LOCKED when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use code LOCKED. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use code LOCKED. Um, but I, I, I guess if we're talking about three point shooting, I'll move into my next, uh, my next thing that I think is important for the Knicks here. And maybe this is a little, little on the fringes at this point. Cause it's, it's kind of tough to see how this guy is even going to see the floor at this particular moment in time, given how things went last year. And the fact that the Knicks brought another garden that, you know, they clearly, uh, believe in and Dante DiVincenzo, but, I think Deuce's three-point shooting is really important. Um, And this is twofold. One, I think that eventually, whether it's before the season or whether it's during the season, the Knicks are going to make a trade that's going to free up enough playing time that Deuce will become uh, uh, relevant in the rotation again and is going to need to play minutes again. But then the other thing is that it is like literally the only thing I think holding him back from becoming like, I don't know if quite like Marcus Smart necessarily, but like something in that mold of player where he's clearly good enough at handling the ball. If if the three-point shot can just come around to like 35, 36%, like plus the amount that he affects things on defense – I think that he's going to be an NBA rotation player, period. Like, he, he won't have to just be on the fringe anymore, and it won't have to be like, well, Deuce is amazing at defense, but he only shoots, like, in the 20s or low 30s and from three, and that that's just going to prevent him from staying on the floor. If he can get his percentages up to, like, 35 36% and, you know, prove that he could do that potentially or, uh, on, like, two and a half to three three-point attempts per game, I, I think we're looking at a guy that could realistically like like crack a rotation again. I maybe this is a Knicks or elsewhere thing, but I think he would end up sticking with the Knicks because they would realize like what an asset having someone that plays defense like that and everything is and would have the inside scoop on if he did make three point shooting leaps or whatever. I think he would probably end up staying in in some form of trade that would end up netting the, the Knicks a star or whatever. And once those minutes open up, I think if he could just start hitting his threes, like there's a really, really good player there. Like the the impact stats, the on off stats are just absolutely insane for him. Yeah, uh, there, I mean, there was a point last year, like when the Knicks went on that winning streak, like post the rotation change, like he was again in limited minutes, and and you could talk about the matchup types he was getting, but like statistically, he was the most impactful defender in the NBA. Like he had the best defensive rating um, in all of basketball. Again. Uh, some noise with like the lineups and the amount of minutes he was playing, but I'm with you. And I, I think it's in, it's an exceptionally good point that the Knicks are building just so much insurance into this roster. Like Dante DiVincenzo's like contract um, is, I, and obviously part of it is that they're going to go small and they're going to find minutes from there, but I don't think it's necessarily if someone like 
of the role that he's currently going to be playing, it's projecting forward. Like quickly is going to be gone. RJ is going to be gone. Grimes is going to be gone. One of those guys, two of those guys, three of those guys are going to get traded. And I think Deuce is an interesting example of that insurance. Um, Prez, I'd be curious, like your take on what his upside is as a shooter, because like we all know he had um, those monster G league numbers as a rookie. Like, I think I've, I maybe like, just like commit, like I'll be like on my deathbed and I'll still be reciting them because like, we've just said them on the podcast so many times now. Um, but he, he was like, he was like a really, really dynamic shooter at that level. And then like, similar to what you were saying about, um, or maybe it was Alex who was saying about RJ, like where it was a little bit of a mental thing. Like you could almost see like the gears turning every time he shot. It was like, all right, I don't want to get benched. I like playing. I want to stay on the court. Um, but wh- where do you think he like, potentially tops out as a shooter like again whether that's new york or elsewhere he's like if i'm looking for a mold for him i look at someone like javon carter who preceded him at west virginia and last season got up to a 42 percent three-point shooter and went kind of like deuce was now and like he was early in his career like a fringe rotation guy to a clear-cut impactful player on a team with title aspirations yeah so i mean i i think it's definitely not ability with him it's confidence um there's times where we're just like shoot a deuce and he's a little tentative um he got a little better accuracy wise as the uh as the year went on um damn i just had the numbers up what the hell did i do with them (laughs) he but he went from like awful to like just eh like by month his three-point percentage was uh 10 26 oh, <laughs> that, that was hits. <laughs> to be fair to be fair that was like november where he played seven minutes per game or whatever hmm. um so basically he didn't play sure uh 10 26 30 um and then that 30 in january and then 50 in february 42 in march um april was only a couple of games so it was like 20, but small sample. So I, I mean, gun to my head, I'm, I'm still betting on him putting up competent numbers immediately. I think even with the hesitancy to shoot, like the numbers shouldn't be as bad as they were. He, there's probably some noise there. If I had to guess just bad luck to be honest. So um, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, he, he's totally, I'm, I'm with y'all. He's, if he does that, then he's going to be a rotation player. Like, there's worse shooting. There's like guys like Pat Beverly and Javon Carter getting deals around the league, and then Deuce will be fine, you know, even if he's never going to play like 30 minutes a night or something. Yeah, I, I think so too. That's, you know, that's my ultimate takeaway on Deuce is like that's like the final piece. And I mean, obviously, there are other things that could happen out of nowhere that would make him more significant than that you know in the league and and make him potentially a higher money player or whatever but i think he could play until he's like 35 if he just like like in the nba and keep getting like keeping relatively in demand like a patrick beverly type guy uh if he just figures out the three-point shot and the consistency and and like you said prez i i'm not too worried about it either i think that he's sort of like pretty much every young player on the Knicks since Tibbs took over, I think he kind of just deals with that looking over his shoulder syndrome of like, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, if I miss these two threes, like, 
I might get pulled, and then that gets in your head, and then you can we start... call it? Can we say toponitis or toponitis? Like, yeah, not current anymore. Yeah, I, it doesn't really work with I like you can't say that it's like IQ anymore because obviously IQ kind of like cracked the code, I guess, and finally got Tibbs's confidence. But I feel like there's there's similarities between like how you know Deuce could find a role and how IQ did, which was essentially just like finding the way to overcome that mental block and like find that consistency shooting the ball and whatever enough that then Tibbs finally says like, oh, all right, well, I can see how good you're playing defense and everything. So I guess I just kind of have to find a role for you at this point. But it, it is going to be difficult short of a trade or something for that to happen for him with the Knicks this year just because of the fact that there's like five guys ahead of him in the rotation at this particular moment. But I do think, like I said, Knicks are elsewhere. I think that if he finds that three-point stroke and if the Knicks make some sort of deal and bring in a new player and that either sends Deuce to somewhere new that's rebuilding or keeps him on the Knicks where they suddenly you know, need some of their their guys that weren't in the rotation to step into the rotation, I, I think that he could really find uh, a role for himself. Prez, as far as a, another player and, a, and another skill, uh, there's a, a recognizable name here and a a uh, skill that I think a lot of people hope that he finds consistency with. Uh, So do do you have a little something about Julius Randle? Yeah. uh, I picked Julius defense as, uh, as the thing that needs to improve. Obviously he had an awesome, awesome year. Um, I think particularly once the Knicks started really, killing other teams after the Grimes insertion to the starting lineup. And then even more so once we got Hart, um, I I think it went under the radar because we were winning a lot. But I think his defensive success and effort got worse. Um, I thought he was comfortable just kind of chilling a lot of the time on the perimeter. Um, sometimes he'd be a little more aggressive if we switched and he'd be on someone who's like worthy of his attention or whatever, like another all-star or something. But um, for the most part, I think that's just, you know, people, we, we talk about like ways guys can improve and obviously Julius has continued to improve in extraordinary ways on offense for a long time. Now um, you He's been about 10 different players in his NBA career, which is crazy. Um, But on defense, like fours in the NBA, just, you know, larger wings like him or mobile bigs like like him, however you want to categorize him. They just have such a unique ability to do lots of things on defense, right? Because these are the players who are big enough to deter at the rim and impose smaller players physically. You can guard smaller players, even if you're not as quick because you're much longer and taller, so you have more room for error, um, even if you don't want these guys who are 6'8", 6'9", on like quick twitch point guards all the time. like They can do that. Um, and Randall doesn't really give you any of those benefits on defense and what I mean by that is like even though he's a power forward he doesn't really give you any extra rim protection 
part of that is effort, right? Like he's not the kind of guy to like just sprint and fly over for a weak side block. Part of that is athleticism and that like he can jump really high, but he's not particularly athletic, athletic jumping while moving like backwards or sideways. And he's also like 250 pounds, which is heavy, which, you know, that's fine. I'm not telling Julius to lose weight. Please stay jacked. (laughs) But, um, and then, you know, you see it on his closeouts. His closeouts are generally pretty bad. Um, They're not very aggressive on screen. Like you see it all over the place. Like he doesn't really get steals or deflections. Um, He doesn't really blow up pick and rolls. Um, So he, you know, he's just kind of last year, he was just kind of out there and, I feel like we didn't really talk about it quite as much because, like you alluded to earlier, Gavin, he wasn't the worst or even second worst defender in the starting lineup. Um, but there's a reason why we ended the year like, I forget what it was, like 19th or something in defensive rating. It's because we had two or three, depending on how you rank them, pretty bad defenders out there at any given time. And if you know, six or seven players are getting the majority of your minutes and three of them are just kind of stinking up the joint on defense, then you're just not going to be a good defensive team. So the reason why I picked that over, say, RJ's defense is, like, I feel like the, the front office is rightfully still operating as if until some incredible opportunity comes, Julius is a big part of this team's plans, right? Like, he's an all NBA player. He's hit that upside on offense. Like you don't dismiss that super easily. I don't, at least I know a lot of people want him gone because of the playoff stinkers, which I get totally. But for me, I'm like, if he's giving you all NBA upside on offense, you can't like the possibility of getting that in the playoffs is why I'm still on board with this experiment. And in the meantime, let's just give a little effort on defense and then you could really be like, like if, if he just took some more and, and what, what my optimistic situation is maybe Brunson emerging as the guy and then RJ Barrett going from like a shit show to all right means Julius has to work a little less hard on offense. And then maybe he can help lock in on defense. That would be my hope. It might be naive, but that's my hope. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's funny because we, we we coming out of um the twenty one twenty two season um like at least I am like president because I know you view things through a developmental lens like saw it as like a missed opportunity and that down the stretch of the season like we we had those final five games where IQ and Ob went off but like throughout the year like there was like a lack of experimentation like we never got Obi and Julius together like on and on and on um and then coming out of last season like it felt like the Knicks kind of got all the meat off the bone except for. Julius's injury and you could also argue IQ's injury where we just didn't get to see those guys like fully healthy or IQ really at all against the heat and like all summer I've kind of been lamenting that from an offensive perspective because like you like I was like even for someone who's been like a quote-unquote Julius hater at times like was kind of weirdly optimistic about how he was going to do in the playoffs and I and I just I I thought like the level of athleticism he showed during the regular season how much he was dunking the ball the three-point volume even if the efficiency like went down a bit I thought there would be 
some part of that that translated to the playoffs much better than it did years ago against the Hawks. And for no other reason than he was playing off Jalen Brunson versus him being the clear cut number one guy. And obviously the ankle injury negated that. But to your point, like the other big loss was we didn't get to see him defensively. And 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 maybe it was it was it was partially opponent based. Like Tibbs deserves a lot of credit for scheming really well. Like Grimes and Mitch deserve all the credit in the world for having heroic performances at times. But the Knicks defense was almost inexplicably good when you consider that Brunson's a sieve. RJ played better, but the numbers show that he wasn't very good. And Julius was playing on one ankle. Like, I wonder what it could look like a year from now. And if the Knicks are betting on like, and and clearly they are on like mostly just running it back and getting further in the playoffs. Part of it is that like one, you get Julius offensively, but I think two, and like maybe the underrated part is that like, like what could he unlock in the playoffs? And we've seen it with like, again, guys in a different category than him, but like LeBron Embiid and like, like most stars who like really turn it up defensively in the playoffs. And Julius like, Physically, like there are some real limitations there, as you noted, but as a switch defender and like Grant, like who knows like how much Tibbs does that in the playoffs, but like he's like he's had great moments. Like I'll always remember him like in some of those Dallas games, like like containing Luca really, really well. I know, Alex, you you always reference that quite a bit. Um, And I wanted to see that like in like him get a big possession on Jimmy Butler and get a stop. Like I, I think he's he's capable of doing things like that. And we saw, I think it was against the Cavs, we had the chase down block. Like, I think he was willing to put that in. And he had such a desire to put that postseason from two years ago behind him. He just didn't get an opportunity. So this year we might see that. And I think I think there's some meat on the bone, whether like in the regular season, like those moments of pure apathy completely go away. Like, I, I kind of think that's part and parcel to who he is as a player. But I think in the biggest games, there is room for a higher ceiling there. And it could kind of change the Knicks trajectory. Yeah, and I think... You know, if you're looking at like low hanging fruit for him potentially, you know, if you look on on NBA stats, they let you see uh, when a player guards opposing players shooting various scenarios, you know, of uh, uh, on the floor. So like three pointers, two pointers, less than six feet, less than 10 feet, et cetera. And I, I think the biggest place where Julius can improve is the perimeter. Like, Mm-hmm. If you look on here, and th- and this is to your point, Prez, like less than six feet, less than ten feet, you know, players shoot about two percent better than they normally would against Randall. Whereas it, on two pointers in general and three pointers, which you know that would include like long twos and stuff in that uh, two pointers number, it, he, they only shoot one point three percent better and one point five percent better according to NBA stats. And so, like, what that tells me is like if he just works a little, like he's he quite frankly, just is not built to be a rim protecting dude. Like to your point, he's, he's stocky in the best way possible. You know, like he's, he's very like yoked and strong, which helps him a ton in various aspects of his game, uh, but doesn't necessarily help him as far as making up for the fact that he's six foot nine in a seven foot tall man's world, you know, in the, in the inside. And he's, he's also not like, doesn't have like a crazy, crazy huge wingspan to kind of make up for that. And give him the length that he necessarily needs to like offer a little bit of rim protection there. Plus, just in general, it's just never really shown the aptitude for that. But uh, the, like Gavin, you referenced exactly what I was going to reference, which is like this is a guy that like has gone one on one against some of the best players in the league from time to time and shown that he could stop them on the perimeter, that he could stop them from shooting three pointers and getting their spots that way, that he can, um, you know, kind of like contain guys on the perimeter and. I think that's the easiest spot for him to 
improve is to work on sticking to his man better, whether it's on or off ball. And I think that the off ball thing is the real thing that he really just needs to work on. He needs to commit, especially we see this during the regular season. He loses guys a lot. Like he just kind of ball watches a bit too much, stops paying attention to where his man was. Obviously this was at its, I was going to say, did it a ton in the playoffs too. Like yes. against the Heat. Yeah. Did it in the playoffs. It was at its absolute worst last year um, in 21 to 22. That was, I mean, every game was just full of him essentially just standing around watching what the ball was doing and not paying any attention to the guy that he was supposed to be guarding. So like if he could just work on that and, and maybe some of this comes with, you know, to your point, Prez, like a little, uh, or like you sort of reference this, like, and, and it's sort of like what I said with RJ too, like a little, a little bit of humility in seeing like, okay, I don't necessarily need to exert all of my effort on being like the alpha and the omega on offense anymore because Brunson can kind of do that now. Uh, and we can also have a, sort of a spread out approach here. Like we have a lot of very talented guys that can handle the ball and create offense and stuff like that. So maybe using a little bit more of that effort, like to keep himself engaged on defense and find mental victories there, I think would be good for him because Julius is clearly a feel player and clearly a guy that like each little success throughout a game leads to the overall narrative of what that game is going to be for him. I feel like like if he starts off well and he gets those few little wins early, it usually translates to a good game overall for him. But if he starts off poorly and usually this happens on the offensive end and he starts getting frustrated, then that can lead to a poor game overall because it just sends him on a downward trajectory. And I think that that just gives him all those little opportunities to get those small wins throughout a game. If he just sticks with his man, gets defensive stops and can sort of see the the benefit of that, like both to himself and to the team. I think that would be huge because clearly he has the ability. Like I think he actually has very good lateral speed and quickness. Um, and the ability to like stay in front of a guy. So I, I'm I'm with you guys. I think that that would be a, a huge skill for him to hone in on. And just, I mean, it's not even that he has to get better at it. He just needs to embrace it more, I think. And point. to your point on the stats, um, B-Ball Index has some cool defensive stats that um, basically isolate field goal, field goal percentage allowed in specific situations um, rather than just like, like more specific situations than like six feet away or five feet away or whatever um, to sort of cut down on noise. And there include like when defending a ball screen, um, when chasing somebody off ball and in isolation. And last year, Julius's numbers in all three of those were awful. So pretty much everything on the perimeter. It's a combination of lack of effort lack of technique um and you know sometimes it is hard even if you are locked in for a 250 pound 6'9 guy to chase someone who's probably more nimble around the screen or some smaller ball handler who's dancing out there right or stuff like that but you gotta like if you're gonna be the four on a on a good team that's part of your job is to is to not give up um to not just concede that on the perimeter. So uh, you can't, it can't be a mano e mano type of thing. Like it can't, he can't just only get up for like, oh, it's me versus Paul George or something like that. Like you gotta, <laughs> you're the greats going at it. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta do the boring stuff, man. Like if that's, I mean, this is not a new observation with Julius, right? This is 
something everybody has known about him for a long time. Um, but just like we've seen him eclipse his potential on offense and go far beyond what people thought was possible, you know, maybe he can do that on defense. Yeah, I don't know if you I don't know if you guys watched uh, Eastbound and Down, but I, I just watched it for the first time and there's like a little bit of Kenny Powers there where you just you kind of assume the worst with him and then like he'll like like that chase down block, like he'll, he'll just surprise you because like I would I would frame him as like a quote unquote like selfish defender and then he has moments where you're like, Oh, that was unselfish and same and on, on offense he he clearly made more of an effort to like make early passes and, and make like to your point, like like I think it's it's literally the same thing on offense and defense, like him getting up for star matchups on defense and him in the past only passing when he would get an assist on offense, like kind of same mental mechanism there. And it felt like that got better offensively last year. So maybe, maybe there's some hope mm-hmm. defensively. All right, guys, that's it for this episode with Prez. But if you enjoy him as much as we do, fear not, uh, there'll be one more part of this three-parter where we, we give Mitchell Robinson some love first Prez advocates for Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel quickly finding the bigs a little bit more on drives. And then, Alex, this is this is an old take for you, but it continues to be relevant, continues to be a good one. Uh, we're, we're past the – we've evolved past the point of asking Mitch for, like, a three-pointer. We're kind of just, like, disappointed mothers at this point saying, like, all right, you're not going to do that. Can you at least, um, I don't know, like, get to school on time? And for Mitch, that means one dribble moves, one dribble, dunk, jump hook, all that good stuff, getting seals, making his free throws. Um, and then we finish up with some good stuff on Quentin Grimes, how he can elevate his game um, by advancing his ability to beat bad matchups and like bad defenders off the dribble. Um, and Prez makes a pretty interesting analogy about how he could be used in an Evan Fournier type role on his first season as a Nick, and that'll really unlock his game. So that's pretty cool. I would tune in for that by itself, um, but we'll see you next time on Locked on Knicks for just that. <laughs> <laughs>